What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Championship Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Nate Bailey. And uh, today is definitely one of the highlights of me as a podcaster, as a host to the Championship Leadership Podcast, over 250 episodes in now up until this point, and definitely one of the highlights. So uh, today's guest is a man by the name of Stephen Pressfield. Some of you may or may not have heard of him, but he is a very successful writer and author. He's written 20 books to date. His latest is called A Man at Arms, and it is an incredible book and an incredible story about a, a man from Arcadia by the name of Telamon. And uh, I definitely highly recommend you check it out if you're looking for an incredible story back in the times of 1 AD, kind of a, a soldier that doesn't have any affiliation to any armies, but uh, to himself and just an incredible story. So uh, some of the other books that Stephen Pressfield has written, The War of Art, Gates of Fire, which was the very first book that I wrote, uh, read of his when I was deployed in Kuwait as a platoon leader. And um, he's my favorite author. And, and I have a, a number of authors that I, that I follow and read. And, and he's definitely at the top of the list for me. And uh, had an incredible conversation with him. So check out everything that he's got going on. Pick up a copy of his book. You can pick it up just about anywhere or basically anywhere. But uh, go to his website. He's running some fun promotions as well right now. Some give giveaways. Uh, StephenPressfield.com. Check him out. And uh, most importantly, just enjoy the show. This is an incredible show. Um, you can find out more of what I'm up to at NateBailey.org. Um, but without any further ado, I want to introduce the one and only, the powerful Stephen Pressfield. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Championship Leadership Podcast. And uh, I'm excited. I've, I've got uh, a very special guest today in Stephen Pressfield, um, author, uh, many, many books and uh, a new book. And in case you are watching this, uh, here it is right here. A Man at Arms, the latest book that he's got out. 
thank you so much, Stephen, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Nate. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a little backstory. I was deployed to Kuwait as a platoon leader in 2005, 2006, and uh, came across your book, Gates of Fire. It was getting, it was, it was one that seems to uh, be passed around the, the ranks in the, inside of the military, which you probably heard that similar uh, story, yeah, I would yeah. imagine. And yeah. uh, so we were, my platoon, I would say probably all of my platoon ended up uh, reading that book and, and just loved it, devoured it. And then, you know, I got back home from deployment shortly after and the movie 300 came out, which, uh, which, which I was stoked about. Cause I was like, Oh man, I just read this story in, in your book. And since then I've worked with entrepreneurs and business owners. And right now, actually, we're currently going through your book, the war of art. That's a book that I, that I read probably every year at least. Oh, and, oh great. Uh, Interesting. I didn't know that, Nate. Huh. Yeah. It's an incredible book and, and one that, you know, that talks about resistance of course. And, and, um, especially as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I face resistance on a daily basis, just like you, you, uh, in your book as a writer. And I think we yeah. all, all do. Right. So what a yeah. powerful book that is as well. What's, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about, have you always like, have you always had the talent to write? Have you always had the desire to be a writer or, uh, where did this journey start for you? It actually, I wrote for almost 30 years before I got something published. So I was like, I think, 53 or 54 years old before my first novel was published. So it was certainly, you know, it was a long passage. But uh, the way it started for me, I never really wanted to be a writer as a kid. It wasn't a dream or anything. But I was, uh, my first job was in advertising, in an advertising agency in New York City. And I had a boss named Ed Hannibal who wrote a novel and who quit and wrote a novel. And it was an overnight hit. It was a smash. Oh, wow. And so I thought, well, shit, why don't I do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it didn't quite work out for like another 30 years. <laughs> and, uh, so it's been, uh, it's been kind of a long passage for me. Yeah. So one that you obviously were committed to, where, where did that come from? Was it easy to continue down that path? Uh, I had have to imagine it was a little bit frustrating. Uh, 30 years is a long time to continue uh, chasing after something. W what kept you going? Uh, you know, I suppose it's like entrepreneurship, you know? It's like once you sort of jump off the cliff, like once I committed to that first book and then I totally failed at that one, I choked like, you know, two weeks from the end and just blew everything up, you know? So shame was a big factor. I just felt like I've got to, you know, sort of the bottom dropped out of my life at that point. And I sort of felt like I had to write my way back out of it, uh -huh. yeah. but I really didn't have like a backup plan. Nate. you know, it was like, it's probably like a lot of your entrepreneurs that I tried to go straight a few times, you know, and take a yeah. real job and be responsible. But I was like, <laughs> so depressed at the end of the day that I just, I knew I just couldn't keep going. And then the other thing was that along the way, I did start to have a little bit of success here and there. Like I had about a 10 year career as a screenwriter where I was not really doing what I really wanted to do, mm -hmm. but I was in my field and I was making money, you know, not a lot of money, but enough to keep going. And I was learning my craft. You know, so I, I felt like, well, I'm, I haven't done what I wanted to do, but I'm kind of on the road to it. So that was, uh, you know, a combination of things that kind of kept me going through, the, through those times. 
Yeah, absolutely. What would be the, a moment for you where maybe it's like uh, uh, that uh, highlight moment of your career or maybe, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, a, a moment that really was like, man, all right, I can do this. Ah, that's a great question. Um, probably realistically, when my first novel, which was The Legend of Bagger Vance, the golf story that became mm -hmm. a movie, when that when that got published, I felt like uh, I can do this. But I did have moments before that, you know, working on movies where I felt like, um, you know, maybe I'm not doing great movies, but I am getting a paycheck and, and I can do this. Uh, I'm trying to think of a specific moment. Well, I had a tremendous failure in the war of art. I talk about this. Yeah. I had a tremendous failure with a movie called King Kong Lives, one of the all-time worst <laughs> movies. That uh, when it came out, I, I wrote I wrote it with a partner who actually was a really good writer who wrote the first Alien, so okay. he had really big success. And we the movie was made, and we had seen it and everything, and we thought it was a hit. And we you know before it came out, right? And we yeah. invited all our friends to come to a screen <laughs> and like nobody showed up. I mean, only uh, nobody other than our friends showed up. <laughs> and the next day in uh, the Hollywood Reporter, which is the, you know, the paper that reviews or, or maybe it was Daily Variety. I can't remember, but they said, uh, the review said, name my partner and me. It said, Ronald Chusette and Stephen Pressfield. We hope these are not their real names for their parents' <laughs> sake. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, so that was, but paradoxically, I did feel like, you know, I'm in the arena. I'm getting the shit kicked out of me. <laughs> yeah. But at least, you know, I'm not driving a taxi cab or doing that sort of stuff. So I think at that point, I, I did feel like I was at least a pro, even if I was a pro that was getting the crap pounded out of them. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great story. Um what, uh, you know, King Kong lives. That's that reminds me. I was just listening to the radio and I guess there's a new King Kong movie out right now. King yeah, Kong yeah, versus Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they you had a little something like to do with that. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what, uh, who are some of the people that have, have really impacted you? That's something that I, that I ask often, um, championship leadership, you know, who are some of the championship leaders that have impacted, um, you and your journey and, and, uh, and maybe paved the way for you before, before you, uh, got to where you are today inside of your career and your life and less about maybe who they are. Although please share that name if, if, if you feel, um, like doing so, but also like what, what, what really is it about that them, uh, what characteristics really stand out? You know, I've been, I've been thinking about that actually just on my own lately, Nate. And I, I re, looking back, I feel like I've had many, many mentors. I probably had a hundred people that I could name, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, my, my drill instructors and boot camp, <laughs> like that yeah. um, coaches or bosses. It's almost always bosses, you know, that uh -huh. call you into the office and ream you out, you know, and send you back out to do what you're supposed to do. But, um, I'll tell you one thing, like my my part, my writing partner that I worked that I just cited in King Kong Lives. His name is Ron Shusette. He's a real guy. Like I said, he was one of the uh, <laughs> original guys with of the first alien, the Ridley Scott alien. And when we first started working together, I, he was like an established star. He was a brand name. And I was just, a you know, like an apprentice type of the young guy. And um, 
It turned, and so like Ron would say to me, this is kind of a little bit of a long story, but I'll give you that's a long story. Yeah. So he'd say, okay, let's start. We're going to work over at your house. I'll meet you at nine o'clock tomorrow. So I'm ready for him. I'm at the computer nine o'clock. Finally, he shows up like about 1230. <laughs> and the day I'm just shot, you know, I'm waiting for him. This went on for like two weeks or so. And each day got later and later and later. And finally, I said to myself, you know, he's he's just not going to come. This So I'm just going to start myself. So yeah. I, I would start at nine o'clock. And by the time Ron got there, I'd, I'd had like four hours of work. And I had a bunch of pages for the day. And I would show them to him. And I realized that that was what he wanted all along. That he yeah. was not really a writer writer. He was a producer writer. You know, he was like somebody who could evaluate material once he saw it and have great ideas, but not somebody that would sit down and type it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I realized then the lesson for that is pretty obvious. You know, it's like, don't wait for anybody else to do it, you know, right. just sit down and do it. But that was, so that was, uh, he wasn't actively trying to teach me or mentor me, but I, I learned a great lesson there to just go ahead and do it. Yeah. He's like, man, when is Steve going to pick up the hint that I just want him to start writing? I'm just going to keep showing up later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people would tell you that right at the start. Yeah. I'm not going to come until 12, so start working. But right. that wasn't how it uh, that's, that's, that's good stuff. Um, where did the, the war of art come from? Um, you know, I've, like I said, I've, I've read it many times and. Uh, many people in my circles talk about that book and, and uh, influence that it's had on them. Um, so yeah, I would love you to talk a little bit about where that came from for you and why you decided okay. to write that. I know you mentioned even in the book that uh, it wasn't really at the time the type of book that you would write. Yeah, so, right. I had never done anything like that, which you might call, I hate to call it a self-help book, but I suppose it falls somewhere in that category. But yeah, what... Um, The way it came about was, you know, once if you're a professional writer or in any in any field and you're working and you're making money, your friends will kind of come to you and say things like, you know, I got a book in me. I know. Would you, you know, help me get started? And so I used to sit up till like two in the morning with various friends of mine and uh, trying to psych them up, you know, and it was clear that they were mired in what I call resistance with a capital R. In other words, they wanted to write a book, but they were terrified. They had self-doubt. They were sabotaging themselves. They were procrastinating, et cetera, et cetera. They were never getting going. So in helping them, I sort of came to the, the one lesson that I would hammer at them over and over was the writing is the easy part. Sitting down to write is the hard part. Mm-hmm. You got to overcome that your own resistance, your own self-sabotage first. And of course, nobody ever listened to me. You know, <laughs> only one person actually wrote a book and it was a good book. Yeah. And I tried really hard to help him get it published. It never got published, but it was a good book. He was the only one. So finally, I just thought, I'm really getting tired of this shit. You know, I'm talking, staying up till two in the morning. I'm just going to write this down in like a pamphlet. And mm-hmm. then when somebody wants to know, I'll just say, here, read this. Yeah. So that was kind of how the War of Art came about. And I, my uh, great editor and partner, Sean Coyne, I gave it to him. He had his own company then. And he said, this is not just for writers. This is for entrepreneurs and for artists yeah. of all kind. And so he said, let me publish it and we'll see if we can get it to other pe- other people beyond writers. So that's how the book came about. I love it. Yeah. It, and it, it took it about is. two months to write. It was like one of the easiest books I ever wrote. 
That's what I love about the book is it's, it's really uh, easy to read. And it's just like every page is like, yes, yeah, I can relate to every, every single page inside of that. And so, yeah, I'm glad that you decided to do that and put that out. <laughs> what's, um, what's the vision for you? Uh, like you said, it took you 30 years to get that first book published. And, and I uh, want to get into a man at arms here in a little bit as well, but um, obviously you're continuing to write and I would imagine that you don't see yourself really ever stopping or maybe you do. I don't, maybe you could talk to that, but what's, what's the vision for you and what you want to do, um, as an author, as you continue to go on here in our, in this thing we call life. Uh, well, a man at arms is actually my 20th book. Wow. So I sort of went from nowhere to really doing a lot of work at, mm -hmm. at that point. And I have another book. I don't know if you've seen. It's called The Artist's Journey. It's kind of a one of the. I think it's like the fourth follow up to a War of, the War of Art. Okay. And one of the things that I say in The Artist's Journey is, I think that at least for me, my life, my working life, was kind of divided into two parts. And I call the first part the my hero's journey, mm -hmm. where I was sort of bouncing around the planet trying to find my who I was and what my gift was. And at the, at the point that I found that, which was when the first book was published, I'm a believer now that your, your mind shifts and you go into a different journey, what I call the artist's journey. And at that point, you're no longer a free range individual thrashing around. You become <laughs> yeah. like the Blues Brothers, you know, you're, you're on a mission from God. Yeah. Or you are on a mission. And you sort of, you now ask the question, it, let's say you found your, your, your gift. You know what it is. It's a, to be an entrepreneur, to be a writer, to be a filmmaker, whatever. Now you ask the question, okay, what is my gift? If I'm a writer, what am I supposed to write? What's the next book? You know, and how can I hone my instrument, meaning my, my mind, my schedule, my professionalism, my health? How can I put that kind of at the service of whatever this gift is? Like if you're Bob Dylan, you discover, oh, I'm, I'm writing songs. And then you go, well, what, what's the next album, right? I just did Blonde on Blonde, you know, is the next one, you know, Highway 61 revisited, you know, that kind of thing. So from yeah. that point on, I really have been, at least in my career, a professional and just looking, going from one project to the next and kind of asking the muse, my inspiration, what mm -hmm. do you want me to do next? And it's sort of, it's not, for me, it's not in a, you know, like some people write thrillers and they have a character that reappears over and over and over and they just kind of write another one and another one. Yeah. But for me, I kind of bounce around from one subject to another and it's sort of whatever grabs me. But I'm, you're, you're right, Nate. I don't have no intention of stopping. They're going to take me out feet first. Yeah. And I'm just happy to finally be in touch with my calling and to be able to do it. Yeah. 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 So do you have, I know, one project at a time? Is there a list of books or a list of ideas of things that you want to do as, as you go on? Or, or is it really more of a just kind of in the moment, once I finish this project, then I allow myself to think about what's next? Ah. Uh, that's a great question. I'm sure this is has application for entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, absolutely. What are you What are you going to do next, right? And sometimes it's kind of wildly different. But for me, as I'm working on, say, book five, 
I'm constantly asking myself, what's books? I'm um, six. I'm looking mm-hmm. for a, a new idea and, I, and I'll have a lot of bad ideas that I'll sort <laughs> of, you know, write down and keep in a file. And I hope finally one of them will grab me and I go yeah. and then I'll go, OK, that's the next one. Because and again, I, I know it's like entrepreneurship because for writing a book, it's like at least a two year commitment. Yeah. Two or three year commitment. Yeah. And a lot of times if you're doing it on spec, you have to ask yourself um, and novels are always on spec because nobody gives you an advance. Sure. So uh, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to commit two, three years of my life to something that may be a dry well when all said yeah. and done? And uh, so. I'm Does that happen? With entrepreneurs, right? It's a business. Yeah. Um, you're going to go in debt. You're going to et cetera, et cetera. So once I, once I, um, but I am, I'm a believer, you know, sometimes people will ask me to invest in something, invest in the stock market or Uh business. And my theory is I will invest in myself. Yeah. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm not going to bet on something I don't know anything about Tesla or, you know, whatever it is, you know? Right. Uh, Because I'll never know what that is, but I'll bet on myself on the next thing. So I, I do go from one to the next. Hopefully I've got, you know, while I'm halfway through one, I know what the next one's going to be. I hope. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think uh, betting on ourselves is probably the best investment we can make. Absolutely. You talked about that two to three year investment. Have any of those uh, investments, or those projects uh, not become or. Actually, you, you know, most of, most of them do, Nate. Most yeah. of them bomb. Yeah. You know? There's actually going back to my old partner, Ron, who said he told a story about uh, a Broadway producer named Jed Harris was a famous producer back in the 20s and the 30s, had a lot of hits. And uh, he was being interviewed by a young reporter. And um, the reporter asked him, Mr. Harris, how do you explain the, the flops? And Harris started laughing and he said, that's not the question, son. It's how do you explain the hits? Yeah. In other words, you're going to have many more flops yeah. than you than hits, you know. And even yeah. when you have a hit, a lot of times, and this must apply to entrepreneurs too, it's not even your doing, right? It's almost an accident. Mm-hmm. The timing was right or you, you picked just the right slot. You know, you just got lucky somehow. But a lot of almost, you know, probably the – a man in arms right now is doing really well, largely because yeah. I promoted the shit out of it. Yeah, you are. But like the two or three or before that were complete bombs, you know, that uh, not even my family knows what they <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, entrepreneurship, I think we look at we would look at it as like basically, you know, it's a chase to get as many no's as we can get. Cause that we know that that's one closer to a yes. Right. So yeah, so same thing that flop yeah. is just bringing you closer to that hit. Can I recommend a book for you guys and for your, yeah, for your listeners here? This is a friend of mine named Nick Murray wrote a book called the game of numbers. Okay. And um, you have to kind of look it up, look him up. It's he sells it himself, like out of okay. his garage. Yeah. He's got like 10,000 of these in his garage here and his son. And, but he's like a major coach and of financial planners. Okay. And if you're a financial planner, which I never knew, a big part of the business is cold calling. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. how, how hard that is, right? Yeah. And so um, that brings up resistance with a capital R. You know? <laughs> big time. So yeah. Nick wrote this book. He's wrote, written a bunch of books. And basically what he says is 
just make five calls a day uh-huh. and don't count whether any of them were successful. And the reason the book is called The Game of Numbers is he figures, you know, it may take a thousand cold calls before you get the one person that will become a client. But if you just play the numbers, sooner or later, it'll happen. And I yeah. think it's that was a great, I immediately applied that to my own life as a writer, you know, yeah. just yeah. keep coming up with the ideas, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the game uh, of numbers. I was, I was a financial one. planner and an insurance agent in a different life. And, and I, uh, I started my business uh, right out of the phone book, like A to Z. And so I can relate to that for sure. And it, it was a character builder, definitely. Um, but uh, yeah. How did, if you you, could, Nate, how did you deal with your resistance in making those calls? Yeah, well, before reading The War of Art or really knowing what resistance was, I, I didn't know any better. So I just kind of leaned into it and trusted the people that were telling me this is what I needed to do. And so I guess I just uh, naively and thankfully um, listened to them and, and did it. And yeah, there was always resistance, but um, I found a way, I guess, to, to just not take it personal and know that this was just what I needed to do. Ah. Um, well, maybe you're probably a rare person because it's huh? so hard not to take it personal. Right. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some good stories there for sure. What's I see the typewriter back there behind you. Is that one that you use? Is that one? Uh, what, do, how do you write your books? Do you still use a typewriter? Do you use a, a no, computer use a, like everyone a, else? You no, know, I use uh, this, this here, you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. You know, it's just too hard to write on a typewriter, but I did start for years. You did. I keep this old one, you know. I'm from back in the day where in order to edit, you would have to take a scissors and cut a paragraph out of a page and then scotch tape it, you know. Oh, it, man. You know? Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To have a copy, you know, you'd have carbon paper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um yeah, uh, thank you for yeah. I just saw that and I had to ask. I yeah. figured you you've used that in the past, but could you tell us a little bit more um, about a man at arms? I would like to talk about that and what the story is all about for the listeners, and and maybe even where where this book came from for you. Ah, well, I was you know I've written after Gates of Fire, which is as you know is about the three hundred Spartans. I wrote mm-hmm. four other books that were set in the ancient world and that were sort of military. You know, a couple about Alexander the Great and things like that. And then for some reason, I, I just thought I'm getting stuck in this one area. So I said, oh, let me go into the contemporary things. So for like 13 years, I only wrote contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. And But I always wanted to go back to the ancient world as I just sort of feel at home there. And I also had a recurring character, the character of Telamon of Arcadia, mm-hmm. who's the hero of a man at arms, who was sort of like a like a samurai character, like a lone warrior, you know, Yeah. in the first century AD. And people loved this character. He'd always been, he'd been in two other books, three books as a minor character. And people would write to me and say, when are you going to do a book that's only about this guy? Okay. And so I thought, um, I'll, can I give you the longer version of this story here? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Worry, please, buddy. please. Well, here's a slightly longer version of it. A few years ago, my niece got married, my niece Meredith, and she asked me to do the be the officiant, marry her. You know, it was a, it's a long story. I'm not a priest or anything, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I started looking up biblical quotations. You know, I went to the Book of Common Prayer, you know, for what I would read. 
And I came upon a bunch of things that I love, like love beareth all things, believeth all things, endureth all things, or um, faith, hope, and charity. And the great, or when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, etc. And I realized when I picked these out that they all came from one place, which was the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians that became yeah. the book in the New Testament, First Corinthians. So I, I forgot about it. I just, you know, went in my mind and went in one ear and out the other. And a couple of years later, I just got started thinking about this. And I thought that letter must have been in the Roman times, like the atomic bomb, because mm. it was a new faith. And Paul's letters were like changing the world. And I thought the Romans who were in charge then, they must have wanted to stop this letter. Yeah. And I thought, this is, that's a story. Yeah. So I sort of mixed my hero, Telamon, in with that story. And I thought, you know, it, it's a, it becomes kind of a classic chase story, trying to deliver the letter. All the bad guys are trying to stop you. Bump it, a bump it, a bump. So that's how the book of Man at Arms came to be. Yeah. And I love the story. And, and it's really gotten me thinking as I'm reading through it. Like I said, I'm not uh, finished with it, but, but um, it's, you know, I'm a Christian and uh, I'm on I'm on a very beginning part of that journey for myself and learning a lot yet. But uh, it's really got me thinking as I'm reading this book about things that I wouldn't questions, thoughts that never really came to my mind that you had me thinking about, just like you said, with this letter and how uh, how crazy of a time that had to be to live in, in the Romans and you know how bad they would want to get their hands on that. And uh, yeah, so I, I love it. It's 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 an incredible story. So Wait till you get to the finish, Nate. What's, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Got a slam bang finish. Uh, <laughs> One more question here. I do want to uh, respect your time um, and I appreciate you being here today. But this is a question I like to ask because I think a lot of the listeners, especially the times that we're, you know, these are difficult times in our life. Um, 2020, 2021 now and the pandemic and everything else that's going on in the world. But um What's a, if you could think of a, a critical moment or kind of that fork in the road is what I like to say, where oftentimes people kind of know which way they want to go, but they feel pulled maybe the other way by others, or maybe because it's the more, what they think the more certain or safe path. Um, you know, obviously this moment you decided to, to, to choose and take the path that you did, which has you where you are today. But had you chose differently, you'd be in a very different place than you are today. Uh, is there a moment that pops up that you could share with the listeners? Um, the one thing I, I would say, Nate, is there were a lot of moments. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a famous story about Walter Matthau, the actor, where he was on a, a set with a young actor. And the, and the actor said to him, you know, Mr. Matthau, I'm just looking for that one break. I just got to have that one break. And Matthau started laughing and he said, kid, it's not the one break, it's the 50 breaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when I look back, I think that there were many forks in the road where, you know, you think you've made the fatal choice, the good choice, right? You think, oh, now I've really committed, now it's going to work. Yeah. But, you know, obstacles arise, yeah. you know, and three months later, you're faced with, an, with another choice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the one thing, this is probably will not, Maybe this is a little too airy-fairy for the what we're talking about here. But I am a big believer in listening to my dreams, dreams at night. Not mm -hmm. my dreams, oh, I dream I'm going to yeah, okay. whatever. But And I've really found that 
that is a source of wisdom that wherever it's coming from, the unconscious, you know, the divine ground, wherever it is, dreams are almost always pointing you in the right direction. Even a dream that seems like a nightmare on the surface, mm -hmm. when you start to analyze it, a lot of times I've had a bunch of dreams that really pointed me at crucial moments. And I'll recommend another book for your listeners. Yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful, a short book like The War of Art. It's called Inner Work by Robert Johnson. And Robert Johnson is a famous Jungian psychotherapist. And the book is just about interpreting dreams. And okay. it's very, very simple. And it kind of gives you a framework to do that. And uh, many times, even right now, I'm sort of starting a new project. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the throes of indecision and self-doubt and yeah. that kind of thing. And I've had at least three big dreams over the last month that were sort of encouraging me, you know, telling me, don't yield to that self-doubt. Yeah. So I would, I would, uh, if, I, that's a, a great source of wisdom. It's a, it's a mentor to me is my own dreams. Yeah. And it's called again, the inner work. Is that what it's just called inner work without the inner work, inner work Robert by Robert Johnson. Johnson. Okay. You get it on yeah. Amazon or anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll get that linked up too in the show notes. Yeah, um, don't forget Nick Murray's the game of numbers. It's a yeah, absolutely. The game of numbers as well. One last final question here for you. Um, you know, if there were one or two things that you could give, call them guiding uh, guide points or principles that you live by or uh, just uh, pieces of advice that if the listeners were to implement and, and put into action today in their life that would help move their life forward today, what would that be? Um, well, just what I said about listening to your dreams, that's a, that's a key yep. one. But also I think that uh, if you're, if you're of the entrepreneurial mindset, it's very hard to work for somebody else, isn't it? Yeah. It's hard to be yeah. advancing somebody else's dream. But um, the one thing I would say is it's because there's always a temptation to to jump off the cliff, you know, go into hawk, you know, mortgage the, you know, the ranch. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think you're not a pussy if you don't do that. You know, sometimes right. it takes you know, you have to wait till the time is right before you can pull the trigger and, and it can it can it can backfire if you get a little too crazy and you're, you know, you're too ready to jump off the, the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah. So but on the other hand, boldness, you know, fortune favors the bold. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to be said for that. You know, arrogance and ignorance are the entrepreneur's two best friends. <laughs> yes, um, I appreciate that. And that's uh, yeah, absolutely good advice as well. So um, thank you so much. It's really been an honor to have you here today. Um, I appreciate it. What, uh, what are some ways that we can get our hands on a man at arms? And, you know, it's uh, everywhere. It's on Amazon or, and all that. And uh, we even have a few bonuses and prizes going, but yeah, you can find, just go to my website, which is just my name, Stephen Pressfield, Stephen with a V. And thanks, right. thanks for having me, Nate. One, one of the things that it's great that anybody that's listening to this is using you as an advisor and a coach. You know, it's also great as an entrepreneur to get help and to get some yeah. wisdom from somebody and not be all out there, you know, on planet 51 all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, you have an incredible day. Thank you. All right. You too, Nate. Thanks a lot for having me. I'll talk to you again. Absolutely. All right. Bye for now. Let's go. Let's go. 
In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. Of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm gonna be a leader. 